He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. Will God allow someone else who is not God to be worshipped? Would God give his glory to somebody else? No. No. But would he give it to his own son who is like him and is as glorious as he is? Yeah, he's got no problem with that because that means he's God. He has to be God. And, and I've said this, and I'm saying it for the benefit of a few of you who might not have heard me ever say it. He's, uh, I've got a son, his name is John, and he's human and I'm human. We're both human, isn't it? It's not like John's a different creature. He's a human. And that's where these, these people always fall down because they say to me, no, he's the son of God, he's not God. Well, my son's a human and I'm human. They, they, they're misunderstanding that God is a kind of existence, a type of existence. He just happens to be able to give life and uh, to all existence, but he is the first and the only. He's eternal. He's always been and he always will be. And he, he's not a solo uh, God that is completely alone in the universe, which is what uh, Islam teaches. And what Jehovah's Witnesses teach, that he's a solo God. Islam says you can't even get to know him. He's not a personal God. He's far off, merely like a deistic God. But God is, I don't believe God to be like that. God is a God of love. Right? And why is it God of love? Because he has a son and the Holy Spirit. And the three of them are all love. But perfect, pure, holy love. Does that make sense? So that's how pure that relationship is in the Trinity. And so out of that relationship, God wanted a creation and Jesus spoke and the Holy Spirit went forth. And so out of that loving relationship, all things were created. And then that's why you're going to find that, that so many times descriptions of God sound like Jesus. And what did Jesus say? If you've seen, the, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Father. What's he saying? You're looking at him. <laughs> Open your eyes. What did Thomas say when, he, uh, when Jesus says, stick your finger in my side? Now, it doesn't say whether he actually did <laughs> stick his fingers in his side or not. He says, my, my Lord, Lord and my God. No other words out of his mouth. He realized standing before God it's pretty obvious good morning how are you all today well thank you good um, been a long time it seems like a long time since we've, we've come together it's, uh, we went away to Queensland we had a, a really nice time in Queensland saw my dad and uh, he turned 70 a few days before, so um, there you go, kids. And uh, yeah, so that was fantastic because if you know my dad, he's, he's a real Aussie bloke, and to see him choke up and uh, nearly, you know, sort of some tears, I'm pretty sure I saw some tears, yeah, it was a great thing. And uh, yeah, so that was awesome because he didn't know we were coming up, so it was a surprise. So his birthday was on Easter Monday, and we come up on Wednesday. And, he sort of assumed we were going to come up because his wife was making beds and cleaning this and cleaning that. He's going, what is going on? And because the Easter weekend came and went and we never showed up, he thought, oh, she must be just, you know, cleaning 
Something. And then we rock up on the Wednesday, so that was good. Right. Probably the best time to do it. Mm -hmm. um, so that was excellent. Mm -hmm. And uh, our street ministering ministry team went out yesterday, and we had a, a really good time, didn't we? Uh, Anthony and Jamie went off. Uh, where did you go? Botanica. Yeah. And you're pretty well, because we sort of get there, and we sort of average about an hour. Mm -hmm. And you you got one guy, and you spent the whole hour with him. Yeah. He was, was a tough cookie to crack. He was a tough cookie, so they needed a whole hour. It was like trying to chop down a tree with a blunt axe or something. Yeah, but um, and uh, in the end, I think you gave me some food for thought, didn't you? Yeah, I I just mentioned to him, look, why don't you just do us a favour because we sort of got onto a, I suppose, a level where you know it's almost like talking to a, a friend in a way. Okay. Like, yeah, yeah. Sort of having a debate, like, sort of yeah. like um, got to that point where. You, you start to realise, okay, if I maybe ask him this, maybe he'll think about doing it. And hmm. I said, look, what, have a look at um, the Gospel of Matthew. Yeah. It's just one Gospel, you know, and, and see, if it, see if it moves you. So mm -hmm. uh, I know that's something that when I started reading that, it really started to move me. Yeah. So. Opened your eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, um, it's interesting how many people um, out there are atheist, agnostic atheist. Mm -hmm. And if they're Christian, so many that I've met work brought up Christian but aren't following the Lord and pretty well lean towards science as being the truth. So it's we, we're living in an, a time, especially in our city, where just the predominant mindset is, you know, science is right and if science and, and look, a lot of science is right. Yeah. But the thing is is just because we practice science does not mean there's no God. And you don't have to be an atheist to practice science, but there's this prevailing mindset that you have to be an atheist. Be a scientist, and all science proves atheism. It's materialism, isn't it? Yeah, there's, that's all. There's no supernatural. Yeah, that's it's always thing. yeah. They always go from without God in the picture. Mm. So, um, from that mindset, we uh, it's what we're confronting all the time. <laughs> it was nice, um, and now Daniel and I went out. We started talking to one guy who um, he was fairly strong. Uh, I don't think he wanted to talk. He was an 18-year-old guy. Oh, no, yeah, probably 18, doing year 12. He's <laughs> uh, uh, believing, sort of, uh, believing that God doesn't exist. Pretty content in that. And he just, I think his mind was just on getting through year 12, getting him into his career and getting into life. Mm. And here I am trying to bring God to him. <laughs> you know, um, saying, you know, trying to get him accountable to a holy God. And uh, you could just see that it was just, he didn't want to borrow it. But hopefully, you're sowing seeds, aren't you? Exactly. If you sow them with all your heart, you pray afterwards as well. We've got to keep praying for these guys. You know? So one thing we should always do is get home and start praying. Because I think it's so important. Um, and, and is one soul worthy of spending an hour with and getting saved? Oh, yeah. you know? That's what we're called to do. That's what the whole mission is. You know, that's what we're supposed to be doing all the time. So, And look, you don't have to go out on the street to witness to people. You witness through your life. Um, and you can witness to your family. You can witness to your friends. And you know, if you're in a shopping centre and you sit next to an old bloke who looks pretty friendly, have a chat and just say, do you believe in God? Just put it out there. You know, it's amazing their response because a lot of people I've noticed, they want to talk about it, but they don't get opportunities. And the, a lot of Christians aren't out there asking that question. Um, and I think it's a, a valid question. And I always say, look, I think this is the most important question that any man or woman should ever consider is, does God exist? And because uh, if he does, we're accountable to him. And if he doesn't, then we're not accountable to him. We can do whatever we want. 
Mm. Amen. Exactly. So yeah, try to find opportunities in your week mm. just to sort of put that out there. All right, now I'm coming back to a, a sermon series that I I had stopped doing for a while. <coughs> Who remembers this series? Oh yes. And I haven't done it in probably a year. I had a lot of different series that I wanted to uh, to work on and, and through the week and to get ready for today, but I really felt leading in the spirit to get back to this. Um, and it's funny when you're in the groove of working on a sermon series, your head's filled with that. And it's been a year or more, and I'm coming back to it. I'm like, okay, now hold on, I've got to go back to my old notes and get my head around this book again because it is a incredible book. Um, who believes that the book of Revelation is confusing and hard to understand? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Does everyone get that sort of sense from it? You know, and, and if you're an eschatologist, or if you get ten eschatologists in the same room, do they agree usually? Probably not. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, eschatology is one of those things that well, we're not saved by good eschatology or bad eschatology. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with that. Eschatology is just the study of end times. Mm. Um, but it is a very confusing subject, seemingly, on the surface. However, what does revelation mean? Truth revealed. To reveal. It's, it's a, uh, something that is to shed light on a subject. It's not to confuse us. Um, there's the, the book of Daniel. Who, who remembers the book of Daniel? Who's ever read the book of Daniel? Yeah. Let's see a show of hands. Who's read the book of Daniel? Okay, so most of you. Now, the book of Daniel, um, at the end, Remember, it says, seal this up. It's not for this time. It's going to be understood at a later time. right? The revelation, though, is a revealing. It's to be understood in the present time. So, but what it takes is a, is a deep study. And uh, so what we decided to do a few years ago was to go verse by verse through the book of Revelation. And, I, and the one great thing about the book of Revelation is in studying it, you have to study the whole Bible. You've, you can't read just one scripture and just make a judgment of it. You've got to shoot over to Isaiah. You've got to shoot into the Psalms. You've got to go to the Proverbs. You've got to go into the book of Matthew. Because they all link. And it's like it nearly uncodes the Bible as you study the book of Revelation. So I think it's a pretty valid, valid book to study. Now let's turn to Revelation. I'm being pretty ambitious today. And I don't think I'm going to make it. Verse 1, 12 to 18. If you, if you think, this is part 17 and we're up to verse 1, 12. <laughs> and I'm aiming for 12 to 18. Now, I don't think we're going to make it, but I'll probably do 12 to 14 or 12 to 15. So who's got their Bibles open? Everyone got their Bibles? If you haven't got a Bible, open up your Bible app on your phone. I want you looking at the Scriptures with me. Okay, kids, grab your Bibles open. Right, 1, 12. If you don't bring your Bible to church, make sure you do. Because we're a Bible-reading church, not just a Bible-believing church. Um, verse 112. Okay. Everyone there? And it says this. It says, these men... No, that's Jude. <laughs> that's a short book. <laughs> one page to early. Yeah. It's 112, and it says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash round his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, 
and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Now we all know who he's, we're talking about here. Who was the living one that was dead but now is alive? Jesus Christ. So who's that a, a picture of? Jesus Christ in glory. We're seeing him as he is. And it's a powerful picture. You know, have you ever seen someone with, you know, uh, hair as well, my father's got hair white as snow, um, but his eyes were like blazing fire. Have you seen anyone with eyes like blazing fire? No. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. Wow. You know, I've had red feet, sunburned feet. They were glowing. But this is different. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. You know, we've had some pretty good orators on this planet, haven't we? Some really good speakers with nice deep voices. But nothing like this, where he would speak with that amplification and it would be like rushing waters, like a river. Who's been to a really, really big river that's rushing? Is it? Nearly deafening. Yeah, I've been to rivers that are deafening. You can barely hear yourselves talk to each other. They're so loud. Now, until you experience it, you don't realise that water can be so loud. Mm. Who's been to the sea when it's really, really, you know, yeah. crashing, the waves are crashing? Is that loud? Yeah. That's, that's the picture that they were trying to get. Because in those days, they didn't have amplification. So he couldn't say, it's like an amplification system with 10,000 watts going or something. <laughs> it wasn't that description. It's, it was just mm. rushing waters because they've all had that experience of loud rivers. I just want to uh, go through and talk about why the book of Revelation is good. We get blessed when we read it. Turn, uh, stay in where you are. Go to 1.3. And it says, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy... And blessed are those who hear it. Now, I want to see a clear show of hands. Who wants to be blessed? Mm-hmm. Yeah? yeah? yeah. Any a few of us or most of us? <laughs> yeah? I want to be blessed. You want to be blessed. Of course you do. Alicia wants her hot chocolate every morning <laughs> with a piece of toast. And I have to make it. If I forget to, I get a phone call. It's Alicia. She's in the house with me. but I'm not moving from the bed now. <laughs> But isn't that, do we all want blessings? Yes. Yeah. Who wants to go on a nice holiday and be blessed and be, mm-hmm. eat a nice meal made by some incredible chef? You know? So this is what it's saying. We're going to be blessed by reading it. Doesn't that make you want to just put it on full time and listen to it? You know, when you're in your car, start listening, you know, repeat mode over the book of Revelation. Imagine if you could memorize the book of Revelation. How blessed you get. Joe Schimmel, he memorised, I think, the first 11 chapters of it. Mm, yeah. 11 or 12 chapters. That's right. uh, something to think about. So we get blessed. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart. So you've got to take it to heart, what is written in it, because why? The time is near. So what it's saying is these things that are going to take place are near. But as, it, as it, the word also says, a thousand years is as a... 
day. Day, and a day is as a thousand years to who? The Lord, right? So when it says near, he's probably saying, no, I'm just two days away. <laughs> you know, 2,000 years. Yeah. Another reason why you should read the book of Revelation. It's a revelation of who? Jesus Christ. Read verse 1. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Now, you've got to remember, the word soon is always from God's standpoint. Soon meant 2,000 years because it hasn't happened yet. Uh, who's heard of the term preterism? Anyone heard of preterism? R.C. Sproul is a big pusher of preterism. Do you know what preterism is about? If you're a full-on preterist, like if you're a, a, a truly taken to heart everything that preterism stands for, then you believe that the entire book of Revelation has been fulfilled back in 70 AD. Which means that we're not in the end times anymore. Which, in my opinion, takes the burden off Christians to act as if we're in the end times. And live as if we're in the end times. Not live as if we've got thousands of years to go. And then we also get deceived because it talks of the, of the Antichrist rising. No, he's already risen. Yeah. Well, isn't Satan, we don't have to worry about that. Satan's defeated right now. Yeah, Satan's view. defeated. But uh, yeah. if he's defeated, who's this other guy that's wreaking havoc on the earth? So um, preterism is, is a real dangerous, dangerous doctrine. That's one eschatological doctrine that I would be very wary of and I wouldn't want to hold because it can, it can lighten and lessen the weight of so much of Scripture if you really understand the fullness of it. But I'm not going into that right now. So it's a revelation of Jesus Christ, and it talks about what must soon take place. It's a book about what John saw, about the time that he lived in, and the future, Revelation 1.19. If you go there, it says, Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. A preterist believes later just meant probably a few years later. However, this book was written in AD 95. All scholars just about testified to that. Between 90 and 95 by John, the apostle, who was on the Isle of Patmos, and he was sent there, I think it was the Emperor Domitian? Could, yeah, that sounds yeah, right. Yeah, I think it was. It was yeah. yeah, anyway, he was sent there, and he reigned, the emperor that sent him there reigned after AD 70. So preterism... Um, doesn't even say what doesn't even account for what was happening then at the time that John was writing, because he had already passed AD seventy when it was written. Does that make sense? So that's the biggest you know stumbling block for preterists, uh, for preterists themselves. So it's definitely Domitian. Yep. Yeah, it was Domitian. Now it's a book that has much yet to be fulfilled, and I'm just going to briefly. I'm not reading these whole chapters. Just go to <laughs> Revelation eleven. Go to Revelation 11. There's more than this too. I just sort of, this was just off the top of my head, things that I know that haven't been fulfilled yet. Revelation 11 talks about two witnesses. I won't go into the details of the two witnesses, but have, has there been two witnesses that have stood up and done these things that are spoken of in here? No. The seventh trumpet is sounded and the end of all things has come. Has the end of all things come? Has, has Jesus Christ returned yet? No. So preterism couldn't. Have, couldn't account for that. Now, Revelation 13, if you, I just want to go straight to where everybody on the planet has been marked with a number. Um, and they can't buy or sell unless they have this mark. Has that happened? No. So that's yet to take place. 
Revelation 16 is the seven bowls of God's wrath. And at the end of those, that wrath, there's um, you know, all these things that occur in heaven. And it's the pretty well the announcement all the time that, in my opinion, that Jesus returns. Has that happened yet? No. Let's go to Revelation 20. We've got a thousand years of peace. Has that happened yet? That's the same writing. They probably think this is the thousand years of peace, but it's a strange kind of peace. <laughs> you know, World War One, World War Two, and then what? How many wars are on the horizon? Or how many wars are currently being fought right now? You know, there's always tons of wars over all over the planet. So, uh, what about Revelation 21? A new Jerusalem coming down from out of heaven. Has that occurred? No. No. So, is it future? Is it still future? Yeah. Yeah. And Revelation 22 is the river of life and Jesus, uh, you know, in heaven or in paradise earth and so on. Has that occurred? No. So the book of Revelation is mostly still unfulfilled. That's my point. And I want to make that clear because this is also going on online and uh, I get critically analysed when it comes to eschatology. So I wanted to make clear that I believe that the book of Revelation, or I'm a futurist, if you want to give myself a better title. I'm a futurist in my belief of what, is, uh, what Revelation stands for, like the whole book, what it means. Okay, mm -hmm. so let's go to uh, the overview of these chapters that I've just read out. Verse 12, if you want to look through your verses, verse 12 is seven golden lampstands. Mm -hmm. Verse 13 is the Son of Man with a robe and a golden sash around his chest. Verse 14 he's, uh, talks about his hair being white and eyes of blazing fire. Verse 15 talks about um, that he's got bronze feet and a voice of rushing waters. Voice, uh, verse 16 talks about seven stars, that he's got a sword in his mouth and a face of the sun. Verse 17, he fell as though dead uh, and he's the first and the last. And verse 18, he's the living one and holds the keys of death and Hades. Okay, it's a good, really good way. I like to break these verses down because you can actually encapsulate yeah. what all those verses say just with a few dot points. Or, you know. So let's go to seven gold lampstands, verse 112. Let's have a quick look at that. Go back to the start of Revelation. Verse 112 says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Now let's. Go to Revelation 120. So just go a little bit further forward. And 120, it says, The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So the seven lampstands that Jesus is standing in the midst of are his churches. So where's Jesus standing? Amongst. In the midst of his yeah. churches. of And I believe in the midst of his genuine churches. People that truly love him, follow him and serve him. Amen. Um, doesn't mean they're perfect because when we read, we're going to read through the seven churches. And the seven churches are far from perfect except probably the closest one would be Philadelphia. Um, but most of the churches have a lot of glaring problems. But it gives, and it's good to read because it's sort of you find that a lot of the things that are spoken in the different churches occurs in the church. 
Yeah. And it's good to hear Jesus' rebuke, you know, yeah. and say, okay, well, Jesus is saying this to us in relation to that thing that's going on. Yeah. Uh, and the, so the lampstands refer to the body of Christ, mm-hmm. the people. Now, let's go to John. Look at John. Uh, chapter 12, 12.46. And this is Jesus speaking, and he says, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So Jesus is saying he's come into the world as a light and no one who believes in him should stay in darkness. And why would we not stay in darkness? Because if we truly believe in him, then his light will shine into our life and we won't be in darkness any longer. And what does that mean? How does that play out? We can say that as a, you know... Poetic sort of... Yeah, as a, as a, as a poetic phrase or, or what have you. But what does that mean? It means that Jesus Christ wants us to live in the light. He wants us, and the light is really living with a full, clear comprehension of who Christ is, who God is, what we're meant to do while we're here, completely awake to the schemes of the evil one, so that we can see very, very clearly what Satan is doing before us. You know, it's interesting when I um, talk to some people and they talk about certain people and the things that they do, and they always talk from the standpoint of the world, saying, oh, psychologically, this person is doing this, and they have terms for them. You know, they give terms for people with split personalities and, mm-hmm. and, um, and a whole range of things that they talk about from a psychological perspective. I always just think, yeah, it's demon, demon activity. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's demons. Demons are ruling these people. Mm-hmm. Um, my son, John, he came home after watching a video of a, um, or a movie of... Uh, an experiment that was done, a psychological experiment, where they grabbed a whole heap of people and they put them into prison. And half of them, these were just normal people, they weren't prisoners and they they were respectable people, and half of them had to pretend to be prisoners and the other half had to pretend to be wardens and, and, you know, guards and and so on. And they put them in that condition now, what happened after that moment is the first day it was all okay, the second day sort of seemingly, but then they started to act out the, sorry, those roles, their roles. And the next thing you know, the prisoners are getting treated terribly and getting beaten up. And, and uh, it was crazy what went on. I didn't see the movie. If I did, I could probably elaborate a lot better. But the way John was describing it was like, you know, I straight away thought what happened is when people get given positions of authority, demons, which who are the powers and principalities and the authorities in the heavenly realms, the rulers, principalities, powers and rulers in the heavenly realms, these demons enter into these people even if they're acting it out, pretending to be that. Before long they start to believe they are that. It's the same thing that happens when an actor has to become a certain person in history or whatever, they, um, actors like Denzel Washington admits that they actually ask for the, de- uh, for the spirit of that person to come upon them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when he acts in a role, a lot of the actors today, especially the Hollywood elite actors, they actually get possessed by the spirit of the role that, of the person that they're trying to act out. And then they can act it out more authentically, which is why actors today seem so much more realistic than if you watch back in the old days when in the black and white movies, and it seems like they were actually acting. Yeah. Now they seem like yeah. it is real, that's yeah. who they are. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the, 
The Spirit, when, you, when you're uh, uh, enlightened by Christ, when the Spirit, when the light of Christ is in your life, you can actually see through these things. Jesus saw nearly everything as, you know, he, he casted out demons of blindness and demons of muteness, didn't he? And demons of sickness. So he saw it from a spiritual perspective. And a lot of us still tend to think from the worldly perspective in relation to that. Does it make sense? I hope it makes sense for that. All right, so John... 1246, let's go to Luke 8.16. And it says, No one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. Mm -hmm. Now, without me elaborating on that at all, let's go straight to Matthew 5.14. So back to the book of Matthew. All right, and it says this, You are the light of the world. Who, who's the light of the world? Us. Yeah. He's talking to us. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So who are we? We are the light of the world. Now, are we a light in, of ourselves, in ourselves? No, we are a reflection of the light of Christ. And a good analogy of that is you've got the sun, which is a light in itself, and you've got the moon, which is the lesser light, but the moon is a reflection of the sun. Because when you look, you can see the moon at night, can't you? And sometimes it can be that bright when it's full moon that you've actually got a fair bit of light out there in the darkness. So we are, in a sense, moons. At least he called me Moonface the other day when I, <laughs> I shaved my beard off. And she, and she died. Dad, I don't like you with your beard shaved off. You've got a moon face. Compliments so, all over. This must just, just streamline my face. <laughs> Sorry, I'll give you 20 bucks later for that. Funny reference. Not mine. It's on camera now. It's on camera. Don't hold me to it. Um, yeah, so we're lights, aren't we? We're, we're to be lights. We're to reflect Christ. And that's a good thing. If you think you're a light in yourself, then you'd more than likely be a worldly philosopher. You know, like a Buddha. Come unto me and I will show you the way to live. Mm. You know, and, and they've got words of wisdom and it all sounds really, really good, but they're not God, mm. are they? Did Buddha claim to be God? No. No? Did Muhammad claim to be God? Definitely not. No. Did Jesus Christ? Yeah. Yep. Yes. Actually, there's so many references to Jesus being God. And it's really important as a Christian, I believe this, that the New Testament was given to us to affirm and confirm that Jesus Christ is in fact God. And there's some scriptures I'm going to be bringing up uh, now which is going to confirm that. And do you know why I bring that up? It's because that doctrine is getting viciously attacked in the 20th, 21st century. It's a, a doctrine that is, is getting harder. Um, not R.C. Sproul, another, I can't remember his name now, but R.C. Sproul was protecting the, yeah, the deity yeah. of Christ. But there was others that were, were dead against it. Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that Jesus is God. Mormons, they just believe that he's one of many gods. Um, Muslims. Muslims don't believe that Jesus is God. Actually, to say that God has a son is the um, unforgivable yeah. sin, yeah. according to a Muslim. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, you know, how clever is Satan? Mm-hmm. You know? To get a whole, you know, millions of people deceived and then make it the most unforgivable thing is to claim 
that someone is God's son, that God has an actual son. So he knew that if you believe that, then you're going to get saved, you're going to become a Christian. So he made it the unforgivable sin, the thing you never go near. And that's why Muslims are hard to convert, really hard to convert. But they do get converted. Oh, yeah. How, Bill? How do they get converted a lot of the time? Well, they have visions, dreams. Hmm. Yeah. And then they put their life on the line. They come out of the vision that's so you know, um, impacting hmm. that they come out and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And before their family who are in shock that they can say that sort of thing. And they're willing to die now for, to maintain the belief that they've just witnessed in their dream or their vision. It's pretty powerful. Look up on some, some videos. They're pretty stirring videos. Because these people are very, very oppressed a lot of the time um, in having to follow that way and, and to entertain another religion is just out of the question. So that's... Um, Matthew 5.14, are we to be lights on a hill? Mm-hmm. Are, we to, are we to shine before men? What does it say to shine in? Let's read it. Anyone remember? There it is, good deeds. Yeah. Shine before men with good deeds. Faith without deeds is? is dead. Yeah. So what are Christians to do? We're to have good deeds. Now, do good deeds save you? Absolutely no. not. No. But are good deeds fruit? Yes. 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 So good deeds is evidence that you're in fact saved. Yeah. So a Christian without good deeds is testifying that they're not really Christian. Mm. That's all it's doing. It's not that the deeds save you. It's just evidence. Yeah. And so we've got to make sure that we are producing fruit of, of, of different kinds in our life. And the good deeds. So just, you know, resisting sin is a fruit, isn't it? To resist the sin nature. All right. The son of man with a robe and golden sash. That's verse 113. So let's read that again in the book of Revelation. found it. My my 13 looks like a 12, so I'm looking at it going... (laughs) But there's a 12 before it. And it says, And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. Now, Pastor Joe Schimmel, he's the pastor of our sister church in California, and he he says the Son of Man is a term of humility. And I know a lot of people get a little bit um, confused with the whole Son of Man thing. And a lot of um, people who don't believe that Jesus is God use this term as a in, to indicate that he's he's definitely not God, because how could he be called a Son of Man? But the Son of Man is a term of humility. When God becomes a man, he's the Son of God, the Father, of course. But the Son of Man is the Son of Mary. It's a Masonic title for deity. So he was the Son of Mary. They, they say that when a, if an if a embryo is put in within a, 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 a uterus, is that right? Yeah. 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 Not very good at my science of this stuff. Um, they say that the blood of the parent never enters the child. It never comes through the wall of the uh, embryo. Mm. And so that, that way, if the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and placed Jesus in her womb, then in a sense, she became an incubator yeah. for Jesus yes. so that Jesus could get to it. So in a, in a sense, Mary wasn't part of him. He was connected to her, mm. you yes. know, because, you know, he was inside her. Yeah. But, um, and now that can be all verified, and please check me out on that. It would be interesting to see what you discover as well. There's some people that have done some great research on it. 
But uh, so he was the son of man in the sense of that he became a man and he was born of a woman, but he was placed there by God. And that's the only way. How else could God? God was, you know, God's amazing. He can figure out anything. But he worked out that the only way to get God in the flesh was through that means, through a a woman who would be like an incubator to him. Daniel 7.13, because we're talking about son of man with a robe and a golden sash. Daniel 7.13. And it says, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. So what's he called? A son of man. Like a son of man. Because he was in the he had the appearance of a man, so he could see him. You know, I believe that uh, the three strangers that came up across Abraham, there was three, but one he bowed down to as Lord. And then when the uh, they went down to Sodom and Gomorrah and they, they to you know enact the judgments of God, how many went down? Two, wasn't it? Two. So the God who was like a son of man didn't go down with them. But he was there to meet with Abraham so that Abraham could have that, that conversation with him. And so Jesus has always been able to appear in that form. So you'll find that, um, have you heard of the term Christophanies? Hmm. A Christophany is appearances of Christ in the Old Testament. Yeah. And there are numerous accounts where you could say that pretty well is, is Jesus. When Abraham gave his tithe to Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a type of Christ. Actually, he had no genealogy. He didn't have a father or a mother. He just was there. So Melchizedek was Christ appearing and speaking with Abraham, in a sense. But that's a mystery. That whole thing is a mystery because we don't have a huge amount of information, but it's pretty fascinating stuff. So what we've got in the book of Daniel is Daniel is being confronted uh, by the Son of Man and coming with the clouds of heaven. Who, who's going to come with the clouds of heaven? Christ. Jesus yeah. in the second coming. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days. Who's the Ancient of Days? Uh, Who? God the Father. God the Father. Let's go back up to verse 9. It says, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was... White like wool. Whose hair of their head is white like wool in the book of Revelation? We've just been reading. Jesus is white like wool, like father, like son. They both got white woolly hair. He approached, and then we go back down to uh, verse 13, to where it says he approached. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. Will God allow someone else who is not God to be worshipped? Would God give his glory to somebody else? No. No. But would he give it to his own son, who is like him and is as glorious as he is? Yeah, he's got no problem with that. Because that means he's God. He has to be God. And, and I've said this and I'm saying it for the benefit of a few of you who might not have heard me ever say it. He's, uh, I've got a son, his name is John. And he's human and I'm human. We're both human, isn't it? It's not like John's a different creature. He's a human. 
And that's where these, these people always fall down because they say to me, no, he's the son of God, he's not God. Well, my sons are human and I'm human. They, they, they're misunderstanding that God is a kind of existence, a type of existence. He just happens to be able to give life and, uh, to all existence, but he is the first and the only. He's eternal. He's always been and he always will be. And he, he's not a solo uh, God that is completely alone in the universe, which is what uh, Islam teaches mm-hmm. and what Jehovah's Witnesses teach, that he's a solo God. Islam says you can't even get to know him. Mm. He's not a personal God. He's far off, merely like a theistic God. Mm. But God is, I don't believe God to be like that. God is a God of love. Mm-hmm. Right? And why is it God of love? Because he has a son and the Holy Spirit... And the three of them are all love, but perfect, pure, holy love. Does that make sense? So that's how pure that relationship is in the Trinity. And so out of that relationship, God wanted a creation and Jesus spoke and the Holy Spirit went forth. And so out of that loving relationship, all things were created. And then that's why you're going to find that, that so many times descriptions of God sound like Jesus. And what did Jesus say? If you've seen, the, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Father. What's he saying? You're looking at him. <laughs> Open your eyes. What did Thomas say when, he, uh, when Jesus says, stick your finger in my side? Now, it doesn't say whether he actually did <laughs> stick his fingers in his side or not. He says, my, my Lord, Lord and my God. God. That were the words out of his mouth. He realized standing before God it's pretty obvious amen we don't need most of us don't need to be convinced of this but it's really good to know it because when you get confronted with people who believe that that God doesn't have oh Jesus is not God and the whole, that they don't believe in the Trinity who's heard that that teaching I just want to see a show of hands who's heard that there is no such thing as a Trinity yep yeah huge amount of Christians believe that. And I'm actually always shocked and surprised. Evangelical Christians believe that there's no such thing as a trinity because they watch some video on YouTube that tries to convince them that there's no such thing as a trinity. But I see the trinity all through Scripture over and over and over again. And uh, I have even done sermons on the trinity. So if you want to see quite a few examples in Scripture, they're really good to know. So... Daniel 7, 13 to 14, we'll go back there. It says, In my vision that night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence, and he was given authority. <clears throat> so it's like saying, <clears throat> you know, you, you, a son comes into his father's business. You know, um, my, my son's uh, girlfriend's dad has a son, and uh, the dad is a, a chemist. Uh, work, got a pharmacy, and his son's learning pharmacy at uni, and then he's got a business to hand over to him. Hmm. So one day he's going to come in, and the dad's going to say, Son, here is my business. I give it to you. I give all authority over to you. It's completely yours now. Hmm. And this is going to happen one day, whether it's happened now or, or it will happen, it's, it's all authority. Well, actually, it says all authority has been given to Christ, especially now he's got the keys of death and hell and Hades in his hands. Jesus, had, uh, the Father said this to him. He says, all authority, I just find it, all authority, glory, all glory. Wow. 
So could God give away his glory? No, he's just saying, honour my son as you honour me. Honour my son because he is as glorious as I am. He has all authority, you know. But there's only one um, existence that he will bow to, Jesus Christ, and that's his own father. It's, it, that's why we have the analogy of Joseph and Pharaoh in, in Egypt. What did Pharaoh say to Joseph? He gave him all authority, and he says, the, but the only person that you have to answer to is me. Everyone else answers to you. And he handed all the affairs over to Joseph so that the Pharaoh just had a... He went on a permanent holiday after that. <laughs> Pharaoh said, here you go, Joseph. You're doing everything now. You're running my entire kingdom. And I don't have to worry about a single thing because he was that, that good at what he did. He was that dependable. And in a sense, that's what God's doing. We've got that typology so we can understand this. That the only existence Jesus answers to is God the Father. And in a sense, God the Father and God the Son have the same mind. They have that mind. They can, they, it's not like they have to talk to each other and advise. God doesn't have to advise Jesus. He is Jesus. They are one. They are one. How that the Trinity works has not been disclosed. I think that's going to be one of the things that we're going to spend a long time in eternity trying to work out. How does the Trinity work? Yeah. Help us to understand. We, we, the best part of heaven is God revealing the incredible complexity of how it all works, yet it's so simple. Do you know what I mean? But mind-blowingly awesome at the same time. Yeah. You know, scientists get carried away with DNA and that's just, you know, that's just creation stuff. Imagine working out how God works. You know? If you're really into that, that would be the most, you, you know, that'd be the first thing you get to heaven. Explain how you work. <laughs> how do you operate? At Daniel 7 13 and 49, I'll try to finish this verse. And it says, He approached, no? Yep. Go from here, approach. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power over. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. Worshipped who? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. We only we we actually commanded worship only God. Mm-hmm. Worship God alone. Does the scripture say that? It says worship God alone. Are we to worship man? No. Are we to worship Satan? No. Are we to worship God? Yes. Who's who are we to worship here? Jesus Christ, he must be God. He has to be God. Mm-hmm. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. That means once Jesus is in power, that's it. Mm. That, that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never, ever be destroyed. And that's why it's so good to be a Christian. Because <laughs> you're, you're serving the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom will never, ever pass away. And we will be with him forever and ever and ever and ever. And all we've got to do is make sure we get it right in this life. And then we receive it. Now, there's an interesting period. And I'll just, it's just came to mind now. There's a thousand-year period that they call the thousand-year period of peace. And there's people on the planet. And there's Jesus on the planet with those people. And they get their coveted peace that 
that the world's always wanted, you know. Every beauty contestant has always wanted world peace. <laughs> so they get it. They've got a thousand years of it. And at the end of that thousand years, what happens? Does anyone remember? There's a big war again. Yeah, exactly. Satan's led out of the abyss that he was chained up in. And then there was a big war. And they came from the corners, four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and they came and they came together. It was like sand on the seashore. And what did they do? They attacked the holy city. They attacked Jesus, the one who gave them a thousand years of peace. Now, this mind blows me. Why would you go and bite the hand that feeds you? And how did Satan deceive them so quickly? And you know, let this be a warning, like I'm talking about a thousand year warning for you. A thousand years prior notice. <laughs> if you're in, if you, if we're, when we get into the thousand years of peace, I'll preach this all the time. Don't be found in Gog and Magog. <laughs> Don't go over there and start listening to their, you know, gossip. When they start talking about Jesus as this bad character. And you start entertaining the thought. Because you could be part of that sand on the seashore that comes before God at that time, after a thousand years, and attack Him. And what happens? When they, when he attack, when they all attack the holy city, what happens? Well, when Jesus first comes, Bill, sorry, sorry to correct you. When Jesus first comes, he, he destroys his enemies with the breath of his mouth. This time, God the Father does it. This time, God the Father steps in. Son, just leave this one to me. I'll enjoy this. And he pours, rains down fire and destroys them all. And isn't that interesting? So, does peace make you a lover of God? No. No. No, obviously not. Yeah. When, when someone comes on the scene and they're, maybe they're an amazing person, they come on the scene and the headlines are this amazing person has just entered into a celebrity status and he's incredible at whatever he does and, and all this sort of thing and the world just chases after him. You know what I'm talking about? You always get him. You know, the voice, the latest big singer and all that sort of stuff. People chase after this person. But how long is it before you start getting, you know... Um, uh, revealing things about them in the tabloids. They start writing bad things about that person. And before you know it, there's, do you like that person? I don't know if I like him. Yeah, he's all right. And, you know, there's all that sort of gossipy sort of stuff. Now that's going to happen. Jesus is going to come and it's going to be this most magnificent moment. And then life will become normal. And we'll be 1,000 years in peace, no wars, no nothing. And it'll be a whole thousand years and Jesus will become the norm. Mark my words. It'll be normal to go up to the temple and look for Jesus or go up to the city of God, look for Jesus. There's Jesus. And you just sort of stand there listening to him. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's Jesus. You know, after, I'm talking, you know, a couple of hundred years in, 200 years, 300 years in. You think about it. If you came to hear Jesus every day for a few hundred years, would you get used to it? Yeah. And the worship becomes normal, even mundane at times, that would be interesting. So it's, you've got to consider these things, because this is all given us in Scripture, and that the time will come when he's going to divide the sheep from the goats once again. And uh, so keep that in mind.
And what we've got to do right now as Christians is make sure that we live as holy priests and holy priestesses of God. Holy people that don't speak a bad word. And we've got to stop. You know, it's so easy. to. Who knows it's easy to speak a bad word about someone or something? Yeah? Anyone suffer of that or am I the only one? Sorry, just me. Thanks, Sharon. Just me. You're watching a man being very awkward with me. No, I'm pretty sure that the human nature I've got, you've got as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Sharon. You lied, Sharon. That's why I have it at the front. Keep me honest. Alright, Ephesians 1.20. So let's turn there. So we might just shoot back to 18. Just so we get it in. This is one huge sentence. And Paul says in Ephesians 1.18, it says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So there's that light that he's praying that we receive. We need the eyes of our heart enlightened. In order that you may know the hope. You've got to know this hope. You've got to know the hope to which he has called you. You've got to understand what you've been called to. The hope to which he has called you. Uh, sorry. The hope which has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The inheritance in the saints. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he, who's God the Father, raised Christ or raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, where? In the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age but also in the one to come, which is the thousand year millennium of peace. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every, every way. So all authority has been given him. He's far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. He's that high above. Now, would you have to be God to have that sort of authority, power and dominion and be worshipped? You would. Let that be a word to you on YouTube. If you don't believe that Jesus is God. <laughs> right, Daniel 10.5. And I'm going to finish on this. Just look at the time. I need a timekeeper out in the... I'll do it. Yeah, you want to do it? Tap, tap on your watch. Or Blow a siren. Every time. <laughs> there it is. Alright, 10.5. I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. Is that the same as what we read about the vision mm. that John had yep. in Patmos? And we have Daniel seeing the same vision, mm -hmm. same Jesus in glory. Mm. So was Jesus present in the Old Testament? Yeah, yeah. we yes. see it over and over again. <laughs> All right, I will stop on that. Has everyone enjoyed that? Yeah, yeah. very good. Yeah. Wide-ranging. Great stuff. All right, so let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this word today, Lord. And I just uh, uh, ask you, Lord, that in this church, that we see you as you really are. That we can see you in glory. That we can see uh, and honour you as you should be honoured. 
as men should honour you, that we honour you that way now. That, Lord, we start living as priests of God Most High, that we start to behave and, and produce the fruit that we should be producing, Lord, as priests of God Most High. That our lives be transformed, that our um, attitudes are transformed, that every part of us becomes uh, renewed as we gaze upon you uh, while we pray and while we uh, read the Word. And I pray, Lord, that uh, everything that was said today will uh, not come back void, but that it will become fruitful in each and every one of our lives, that each of us have received something from what was spoken, so that we can grow stronger and stronger in our faith. And Lord, we're here for a short time, and we have to get it right in that short time. So help us to live as we should now and, and forevermore. Yes. And so, uh, Lord, just bless this time now as we uh, fellowship together, and um, may your spirit just move among us uh, in a powerful and wonderful way. And uh, may you just keep on blessing every element of our life so that we uh, um, you know, can get through the difficulties and the things that we're struggling with and uh, become all the better for it every every day as you continue to work in our life. But Lord, keep us from uh, being passive in our faith, but uh, cause us to um, to really step up and uh, just to pray more, to read your word more, and to also shine before men as we should in good deeds, but also with our words, and that we'll speak to people more about you, and that we won't be embarrassed of our faith, but that we'll be so... Uh, uh, we're confident in what we know that it's the truth that we'll be proud to speak to people yes. about our Lord and Saviour who, who laid down his life for us. Yes. So I pray, Lord, that you just bless this uh, time now and bless our entire weeks in the name of Jesus. Mm. Amen. 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 Amen.